Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Do you mind if I pray a moment? I'm a little nervous. Lord, we just thank you and praise you. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that it is to be your vessel. I ask, Lord, that you would open up the eyes, the ears, the hearts, and the minds of each person present. And most of all, Father, as your word is spoken, I pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Emily, could you show the first picture, please? Oh, or Ray, or Christina. <clears throat> Thank you. You're looking at a picture of the Philadelphia skyline. The two tallest buildings that you see are both Comcast Towers. Those buildings were designed to look like something. And I'm going to come back at the end of the message and explain what they're designed to look like if you don't already know. Thank you. Does anyone know what they were doing 25 years ago today, if you were old enough to remember that back? Do you know exactly what you were doing? I do. You see, yesterday was my birthday. 25 years ago, I went out on the night of my birthday, just like I had done many times, driven to the bar and had way too much to drink. I was driving home in the early hours of May the 27th, driving home this morning, 25 years ago, and I was pulled over and arrested for DUI. It was a journey that would begin, that at that time, I wasn't happy, that would change the rest of my life. At about this time, at about 11.30 in the morning, I got up, out of bed, it had been a very long night, I had left the police station about five o'clock in the morning. When you're arrested for a DUI, you have to stay in the police station until your breath alcohol level drops below the legal limit. They don't just release you, just in case you have a second vehicle, and you went home and got in the second vehicle and continued to drive. So you have to have your alcohol level below what is again the legal limit. I went downstairs, got up in the morning. I was married at that time with two young children. And I saw a note on the kitchen table. And I'll still remember the note. It said, Carl, sorry, Stacy. The house was completely empty. My wife at that time had gone. So had the children. Now, just in case you're feeling sorry and saying, wow, how can a woman do that to you, Carl? You seem like such a nice person. She had every right to do it. She had every right to do it. Not for one moment should we blame her. The way I was living my life at that point in time was not good. Not good at all. The journey then began that day. I later talked to my wife and she said, I've been to see a lawyer. We are now legally separated and I want a divorce. 
I was, wow, all this coming down in one day. It was a, um, a very much a major blow that had completely sidestepped me. But you know what? God had much more in store for me. That is the wonderful thing. I tried to reconcile with my wife. I moved, um, I moved to try and make different changes, and it wasn't to be. She continued to move forward. At this point in time, I wasn't saved, she wasn't saved, and she began, continued to move forward with the separation and eventually the divorce. I ended up moving from the house that we were renting at the time, and she went back to her mother's place, and I went to a, um, um, a, a private home that had like two rooms in the basement. I shared a, one room, I had, it was one room, there was another room, and we both shared a, um, the bathroom that was down in the basement. In this other room was a guy by the name of Tom. Tom had been to creation, and... Um, Creation is a Christian festival, if you're not familiar with it, in Pennsylvania. Tom had been to creation, and he had rededicated his life. He could see the pain, the hurt that was in me. And he would say little things like, Carl, God wants to help you. God wants to take this pain away from you. God truly wants to make a difference in your life. I remember one day we were sitting and talking. And he said to me, these continued messages, how much God loved you, how much God wanted to help me. And I looked at him in a moment of anger and said, if your God is so powerful, he wants to do these things for me, why don't you have him appear right now before me? If he does, I'll believe in him. And I will follow him. Praise God, I know now a little bit more about scripture. And I'll be eternally grateful that God did not appear in front of me at that point in time. Because obviously, if you know the word God says, no man can look upon his glory in this sinful state and live. So it would have been a, um, a catastrophic moment for me should God have appeared at that point in time. This, as I said, though, began a very, very um, difficult at first journey, but became very wonderful. It was exceptional. By, um, so May the 27th was when the separation happened. By late July, early August, with the continued work of, um, of words of love from this guy, Tom, that I had met, I accepted Jesus to be my Lord and my savior. Then, at that point, all the good stuff started happening. Well, it wasn't all good stuff, but um, <laughs> it was still some difficult moments, but things definitely changed for me. When I accepted Jesus, I was given the opportunity to be able to turn to God and to rely on God. In doing so, I can remember very clearly the pain and the anguish that I was feeling because of the separation and the upcoming divorce being taken from me. God delivered me of that. God also delivered me of alcoholism 
At that point in time, I used to smoke. God delivered me of tobacco. At that point in time, too, I would have thought nothing if somebody had approached me of um, sharing the gospel. I would have thought nothing whatsoever of turning and, um, and cussing them out with a, a string of expletives. So God took that from me and um, completely changed my heart and allowed me to see life in a completely different manner. God is tremendous. God truly is tremendous. So 25 years ago was when I had my last drink. The early hours of May the 27th. So now I've gone 25 years being alcohol free. <laughs> I truly pray and hope that you're giving God all of the praise and all of the glory because to him it truly belongs. He has done, as I said, extraordinary things. Pastor Tim read to me today from the book of Luke. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, you can go to class on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock right now, and this might have already been discussed and studied, um, but Ben and Luke head up the class, and they can give you a correct, true interpretation of the context of why Jesus spoke these words when he did. But I always look at this, and to me, I see the way that God had interwoven himself into my life. You see, before I was saved, I can think of the people that were sent to me by God to warn me of the path that I was on. But I didn't want to hear it. I can think of the different people who showed love and consideration and tried to come alongside me and say, Carl, you're drinking too much. Carl, what you're doing at this point in time is not good. It's not going to end well for you. God had given me many warnings, but I wasn't willing to listen. At that point, I was very much the smartest man in the room, so you couldn't tell me anything. I still struggle with that once in a while now. We're still thinking I'm the smartest man in the room, but God helps to humble me and reminds me that I'm nowhere near the smartest man in the room. So to seek good counsel is from the people around me is excellent. Also, I'm nowhere near as smart as God. So to, to continue to press forward, asking the Lord to bless, to help, and to empower me is essential on a daily basis. After I became saved, the Lord gave me a vision. He showed me a video game that you can play in the arcade. Now, I'm going to date myself now. 
If you're young, you perhaps have not seen this game. But it used to be a game years ago, and it was like mock driving. So there was a screen, and there was a gear shift, and there was a steering wheel. And then, of course, at the bottom of the game, you had two foot pedals. One was the gas pedal, one was the, um, the, the brake pedal. And it was always a um, bright red fancy sports car. The, um, the car was uh, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, I forget, but it was an Italian sports car. And um, there was a guy and this good-looking blonde-headed girl in the car, and you would start off very slowly and you'd be driving, and then you get a little bit more confident, and then you, you go up the gear, accelerate a little bit more, and of course, you'd always hit a sharp curve or maybe a puddle of oil, something would come up that would take you off balance, blindside you, and you'd end up in a tree. And you'd have three chances in the game for a quarter, it used to be back then. And when your three chances were up, which usually didn't take too long, but when the three chances were up, the game was over. And God showed me this and said, Carl, this is your life. This is your life. What I want for you is to trust me. I want you to let me drive the car. We'll kick the blonde-headed woman out. You can sit next to me and I'll drive the car. Nothing against blonde-headed ladies. No, honestly, I don't mean anything against, against women with blonde hair, okay? God bless you. God bless all women. But the Lord showed me this. And in doing this, he drove the car, reminding me that I'm not the smartest guy in the room and he can make... Um, a way, an adaptation for my upcoming life far better than what I could. Since that point in time, there have been days when I've wrestled God for the steering wheel and there's been days when I've taken the steering wheel from God. But you know, the outcome has always been the same. There's always been a tree. There's always been a sudden curve or there's always been a patch of oil on the car and I lose control. But thankfully, every time that I've done that, and I go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I know you made it very clear that you should drive the car. God's always been there to say, yes, Cal. Now get back in the passenger seat and leave the steering wheel to me. And then God begins to drive again. He cleans up the messes. Now, thankfully, they've been small messes Back then, there haven't been big messes like the one where I was arrested for a DUI. So it hasn't taken much to clear up. But God has done a great job for me in my life. In 1871, there was a disaster that befelt the whaling fleet of America. Now, if you know anything about whaling back then, New Bedford, Massachusetts was the whaling capital of the world. Many different ships would leave out of New Bedford. And at this particular time, it was, um, well, actually, it, was, it, it began in December of 1870 and came to an end in 1871. What happened was that 33 ships 
outwailing on the northern part of Alaska in the um, North Pacific Ocean, got stranded. Winter came a little bit early. The captains moored their ships when they realized that the sea was freezing around them, thinking it was just for a brief moment. They thought that in a couple of hours the wind would pick up, they would break free of the ice, and um, then they could continue their journey and start heading south. The winds never came. The cold continued to grow deeper and colder. The ice froze. 33 ships were stranded. Almost 1,300 men on board. No way of being able to get them back by sea because any ships that would have gone into that area would have likely met the same fate. So an expedition was begun. And that expedition was to walk 1,500 miles. They sailed into an area, into a port, the closest that they thought that they could get. And then approximately 150 men with provisions for themselves and for the 1,300 stranded soldiers began by foot with the help of dogs to make their way to these stranded soldiers. They got there. They were able to wait out the winter months under shelter. Food was provided to them. And then when the weather turned, ships were able to come in and bring those sailors back from their frozen tundra. Not one life was lost. An incredible feat, thinking about the date and the time of this unfolding. So it was approximately 1,278 men that were stranded. As I said, almost 1,300 men. Not one life was lost. As we look and we hear about these sort of stories, we can be extraordinarily blessed to think what's happened. But it doesn't compare to what Jesus did. When Jesus went to the cross, he could see all of humanity had no hope. We had sinned against the Father and there was no way that that sin, that debt could be paid by ourselves. The only hope was for one to come who was without sin. Jesus came and paid the price. Jesus set us free. He set me free and he said, all of you present this morning, all of your family members, all of your friends, all of the people you work with, all of your acquaintances, whether it's somebody you see each morning at, um, at the convenience store when you stop and pick up coffee, whether it's somebody you see when you go to the grocery store, or whether it's the, uh, the cashier behind the counter should you stop in the bank. Now, I know I'm dating myself now. All the young people are saying, stop in the bank? Do people actually do that anymore? <laughs> so, I know everything's online now. It's all electronic. And um, a lot of people don't even carry cash. But believe me, years ago, we used to stop in the bank. And uh, <laughs> we had to, back then, we had to pick up money. So, I know there are one or two people. Jane still stops in the bank, she tells me so. So, 
All these people that we see, their life, their opportunity is changed because of Jesus. Because of what he did and his great sacrifice. As I said, as I look at this scripture, I wasn't willing to be gathered to come under the wing of the Lord until my house was left to me desolate. 25 years ago today, I experienced then my house being left desolate. But that's only a part of the story. As I went on to say, things changed and changed greatly. My wife, as I told you, proceeded with the divorce. My wife at that time, she proceeded with the divorce. I sought counsel from a pastor in the church that I had joined. And he said to me, another scripture from Corinthians that says, if the unbeliever desires to leave, then you are to leave them go. In faith, I said, okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. I signed the divorce papers reluctantly, but obediently. The divorce was finalized. And then I began the journey of um, recuperating and my life being changed by the influx of the Lord upon me. I met a person at the church I was attending and um, in June the 6th, on June the 6th, I will celebrate 21 years of marriage now to my wife of today. And uh, I'm blessed with a godly woman. I'm blessed with a woman that um, doesn't mind telling me if I'm out of line or if something needs to be adjusted. So, now, men, you might not be married to a woman like that. But uh, I am blessed to have the wife that, uh, that does definitely come and um, bring the word of God in um, encouragement and correction when needed. I could go on and tell you a few other different things of the things that I've encountered in my life. I said to you, I'm going to touch on one thing though. I said to you, um, I could say many different things, but one thing I'm going to touch on. What always seems amazing to me, I was arrested for a DUI. I lost my license for 90 days. Then I had to um, go through a special in counseling. They said that the blood alcohol level when I was arrested was so high, I must have had a very strong tolerance for alcohol. So I had to go and see to get my license back. I had to com- complete a, um, a counseling session with a person on a single on a basis. And I also had to join a group. I want to tell you one funny story about this. If you're wondering how bad the drinking was. During the time I was in this group, this group class that I had to join, there were 20 questions that were provided to me. And it said, be honest in your um, summation of your your problem. And, you know, of course, tell the truth. So I began, before doing so, though, I saw on the top, it said, stop. 
And I looked at this and it said, if you answer yes to one of these 20 questions, you have a drinking problem. If you answer yes to two of the 20 questions, you definitely have a drinking problem and you are perhaps an alcoholic. If you answer yes to three of the 20 questions, then without question, they said, you are an alcoholic. So I said, okay. I knew at that point in time that I was an alcoholic. I hadn't drunk at this time now for about 10 weeks. But I continued to go through the test. I looked at it, read this, started the questions. Question one, yes. Question two, yes. Question three, no. Question four, yes. I put my head on the desk. It finally hit me. By the time I got to question four, according to this test, I was an alcoholic. I didn't have to go all the way through to question 20. I did go and continue it, but by question four, it had been proven. I was an alcoholic. By the time I got to question 20, I'd answered yes. I forget it was 16 or 17 times. These were the things that I had experienced because of alcoholism. And some of the questions were, did you ever get up in the morning and not remember the night before? Yes. Did you ever get up in the morning, see somebody, and they told you of something that you had done and you were completely oblivious to it? Yes. And you ever get up in the morning and find that you urinated in the bed? Yes. Wow. That's where I was. That's the person at that point in time before coming to Jesus that I was as a sinful man. Now, I'm glad to say that all these things are behind me. As I said, 25 years now without a drink. Praise be to God. I say now, I am no longer an alcoholic. The world would beg to differ. The world would say to me, no, Carl, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I don't feel that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. As I stand before you today, I say I'm not an alcoholic because I'm in Christ. And because of Christ, I get up each morning. I never think about alcohol. It doesn't enter into my mind. It is not a daily struggle to keep myself out of a bar or to prevent myself from going in and picking up a six-pack or going into a, um, you know, the wine and spirit stores here in Pennsylvania and buying anything of that nature. I don't do any of that. It has been taken from me because of Jesus. And it is on his authority and through his blessing, the authority of the word of God, that I stand and say, I am not an alcoholic. Again, it's all down to Jesus. When I started the message, I showed you this picture that's still up here. 
the two towers in Philadelphia I asked you to focus on. The two tallest towers. Does anyone have any idea what they're supposed to look like? Do you know, Luke? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No? Okay. Could we move to the next slide, please? Tower number one is designed to look like a thumb drive. That's what it's meant to look like. It was a lot of people were paid money to build the tower to look like that. If you look, now you're looking from the side here, if you look at that tower front on, can you go back to the, f the first picture a moment, please? Oh, you can't see it so good from this, from this angle. Sorry, I should have checked that. But if you look at the tower, just below the top of the tower to the left, as you're looking now, that's tower number one. You'll see a square cut out in the tower. That's actually to replicate the thumb grip. So if you think of a thumb drive and how you slide it into the side of your laptop and then you, put, you, you, know, you do a pinch move to pull it out, there's a little bit often on where they're like kind of slatted to give you a grip. That's what that meant to look like. But that tower number one is, is built to look like a thumb drive. Can we go to the next tower, please? Tower number two is built to look like a Wi-Fi router that you have on home, at home. The side of it, you can see the top part sticking out. That there is the, the antenna on a Wi-Fi. Comcast, who owns both of these towers, spent a lot of money getting an architect firm to design these buildings specifically like that. Now, you can see the first part of the building going up, and then it kind of goes, narrows, and then goes to the top. It's the top part as you look at it. The top part, that is the Wi-Fi part of the building, the top of the building, as it begins to get thinner. By the way, a fact for you, that top part of the building right there is actually going to be a hotel. So if you wanted to stay in the highest elevation of a hotel in the United States of America, you can do it in Philadelphia. Those top 14 floors of, the, of that building are going to be a Four Seasons Hotel where you'll be able to spend the night and have an absolutely astounding view of the city of Philadelphia. Now you think to yourself, Carl, why are you saying this? How many people knew what those towers were supposed to look like? Luke, okay. Now, I know Sam knew because I told him on Friday, but... <laughs> but the point I wanted to make in showing those towers is, now that I've told you what they're designed to look like, can you see it? Yeah, most people say, wow, okay, yeah. Even the first tower, you can see that silver bit on the top, and you can see that, that oh yeah, I can see where that looks like the USB connection. Yeah, on the building, you can see it, okay. What I've done today, I hope, is be for a moment the Holy Spirit to you. You see, once you had instruction as to what it was designed and what its purpose was, then you were able to put it into context and say, yeah, I see that. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us.
when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and moves our hearts to do something, I strongly encourage you to be obedient. I told you of Luke, I only got to a place where I could finally allow myself to be gathered under the wing of God because of people praying for me. Even though I was a lost alcoholic who had no interest in God, no concern for the people sent to minister to me, and I absolutely rebelled against what God was trying to do, even though in that God was persistent in raising people up to pray for me. The Holy Spirit gave instruction to them and they did not waver. Here I am today, 25 years on, because of the prayer of people and the move of the Holy Spirit. Please remember, with God, you are now the majority. Nothing is impossible what can come from your continued obedience with the Holy Spirit. So when God lays upon your heart people who he asks you to pray for, be obedient. The reward can be great. The reward can be great. Again, it is only because of Jesus and his sacrifice the, the obedience of people to the Holy Spirit in praying for me that I am able to stand and give testimony to who I am today in Jesus because of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. You have people that the Holy Spirit has laid upon your heart that he desires you to pray for. Continue to pray for them. You say, Carl, I've been praying for people for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due course, you will reap the harvest. There's a tremendous harvest out there. This world is distracted because of what the world offers. It's not focused on God. It doesn't even realize it needs to be focused on God. But that doesn't change the fact each and every person needs God. Your influence could be the one spark that pushes them closer to the Father. I hope that this will be a blessing to you as I've shared my, um, my testimony and I hope that it will be a reminder one more time, with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. It is said, the hand of God can move mountains, but it is prayer that moves the hand of God. Will you be that prayer? Will you be that vessel? 
will you be the one that stands in the gap and makes the difference. Thank you. <laughs>